Find your, if you will, in your Bibles, Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20, I'm, I'm not going to read the text. If you're looking on the screen, you can see that it's a long text, 17 to 38. That's a lot of verses. I'm not going to read it. At some points along the way, later in the message, I'm going to lift out three different verses from, or three different passages from this larger passage. Uh, there are no sermon notes available now, and, and I'll explain why in a moment. You'll understand that. But you may want to take some notes so there is something on the back of your bulletin where you can put some notes down and so forth. And some of you are already asking yourself, well, why are we looking at, you know, at Acts chapter 20? I thought we just finished 1 Corinthians 14 and we were going to move into chapter 15 and the pastor promised that we'd be looking at the gospel and looking at resurrection and Lord willing, we will in days to come. But um, I think chapter 20 in the book of Acts is where we need to be today. There's no good way to get into this. It just isn't. So I just have to jump into it. You need to know that on July the 5th, just a couple of weeks ago, at our elders meeting, I turned in my resignation as the pastor of Hawkwood Baptist Church, and it'll be effective on September the 30th. So I'm still with you for a couple more months. Uh, so I just wanted you, I, I wanted you to know that at the outset because I want to spend some time explaining what's going on and also hopefully finishing with some words that God will use to give hope and encouragement to the church. And, and I'm praying for this and have been praying for this. And for whatever it's worth, I've never felt as physically shaky in the pulpit as I have just now or as I am feeling just now because I know that if it's, if it's, you know, if it's hard for you, but it's, it's not easy for me either. And so just to amplify this, for the record, this is one of the hardest decisions that Jeannie and I have ever made. I, I just need to get that out there. After nearly 12 years together, it's almost impossible to imagine life without you or a life without this church as the center of our lives. Now, I'm an old man, for, what, for the record. I am. I'm 65 years old, but I'm not tired. And I'm certainly not tired of you. I'm not tired of preaching God's word. Quite the opposite. I'm more in love with, with him, I think, more in love with Hawkwood Baptist Church, more in love with all of you and ministering among you than ever before. But you need to know that Jeannie and I have been called to another ministry. And, and I have to believe that it is a call from God. You've heard about the apologetics organization called Faith Beyond Belief. Uh, this is an organization founded by, I think, a name you know, Jojo Ruba. He's spoken at this church in the past, and he has spoken... Uh, at youth retreats for, our, for not just our young people, but for the, the Baptist churches when they've been in retreat in the past. And he's had a major influence on our youth in, in that way. And he also led the Worldview Conference here a few years ago. So many of you will know who Jojo is. And it's been my privilege to serve on the board of Faith Beyond Belief for the last year and a half. And now I've been asked to become a full-time employee with the title of staff apologist. An apologist is someone who engages in apologetics. That explains it all, I hope. But uh, apologetics means a defense of the faith, and in particular it means addressing questions like, why should we believe the Bible is true, or why should we believe that Jesus is the Son of God, or that he rose from the dead, or that salvation is found only in Christ. Why, isn't there, why aren't there as many ways as there are religions to go to heaven? Apologetics also deals with the relationship between science and history on one side and the Bible 
oftentimes on the other. There is no division between the Bible and true science, the Bible and real history. Nevertheless, the world tries to build a division between these things, and so apologetics addresses that and a lot of other things besides. Now, in every case, apologetics is ultimately about defending God and showing why even in a world where evil exists, we should still believe that God is good and that God is love. Apologetics is not first about how to live the Christian life, but more about why we ought to believe the Christian message, why we should follow Jesus instead of the world. And finally, Christian apologetics involves the presentation and the defense of Christianity as an integrated worldview. That is, objectively, universally, and absolutely true, that it is reasonable, that truth is knowable, and relevant, biblical truth, relevant to every individual and, and this is crucial, every culture. Apologetics invites rebutting, or includes or involves rebutting unbelieving accusations against Christianity, as well as giving a constructive and a persuasive case for the Christian worldview as the only worldview that is based upon ultimate reality. The only worldview based upon reality. Now, the fact is that every Christian is called upon to do apologetics. Let me remind you of a verse you already know well. 1 Peter 3.15, Peter writes, Always be ready to give a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. However, do this with gentleness and respect, keeping your conscience clear so that when you are accused, those who denounce your Christian life will be put to shame. Now, the word that's translated defense, or I think if you have a King James Version, it says always be ready to give an answer to those who ask you about your faith and so forth. But the word behind the English word defense or the English word answer is the Greek word apologia. And it means a defense. It means an explanation. If somebody says to you, why did you do that? And you have a good reason for whatever it is you did. And you give the reason you are engaged in an apologia. You are engaged in apologetics. And so that's the, the, where the word comes from, from that very verse. So there it is. Apologetics is for everybody. But while all Christians are called upon to defend their faith, and you need to know how, when you talk to your friends, family members, and so forth, you need to know how to defend your faith. The fact is, it helps the church, and it helps the churches, if there is an organization that focuses on teaching the best scriptures and the most effective arguments to defend the faith before an unbelieving world. And that's the role of faith beyond belief. They want to help churches, they want to help Christians, and more than just one church and more than just a handful of Christians, they want to help Christians in Canada, and I'll say more about that in a moment, but they want to help Christians in Canada to know how to defend their faith before an unbelieving world. And that's not only the role of faith beyond belief, but that will be part of my role, a major part of my role as under the title of staff apologist for uh, Faith Beyond Belief. The main speaker always will be Jojo Ruba. He's the founder and he's the master. The main speaker will be Jojo Ruba, but it'll be my privilege to uh, help Jojo uh, cover the growing number of speaking requests that are coming to FBB. Already, he's getting more requests than one man could ever handle because you, you can't be in more than one place at a time. And, uh, and his schedule is only going to get busier 
as Faith Beyond Belief expands its ministry from Calgary into Edmonton and on to other cities. Now, I might mention by, by way of reminding you of something, you know that, we've, that the organization has had an annual conference for about the last six or seven years. Usually it's at Foothills this past year because, or in March of this year, I should say, because they invited uh, Josh and Sean McDowell, two world-famous apologists, by the way. Uh, in fact, I would have to argue that Josh McDowell uh, the author of Evidence That Demands a Verdict. He is probably the best-known apologist in the whole world, and we had him here, and we knew that Foothills would just simply not accommodate the, the number of people who wanted to hear him, so we were over at, at Center Street this past, in, in March, but we'll be back in March of this coming year, we'll be back, or it's actually early April this year, in March of this coming year, we'll be back at, uh, at Foothills. And one of the things we're doing, though, in March of this coming year is we're going to hold simultaneous conferences for the first time in Edmonton and Calgary. So simultaneously here and there, and we'll be flying speakers back and forth and some things of that sort. So it'll be my privilege to work with this organization. Now, I need to ask you to let me explain a few reasons as to why I accepted this opportunity. So please... Listen with your heart open if you can, and, and I, I believe that you can. First of all, uh, you probably know already, just having known me for the last 12 years or so, you know that I've had an interest in apologetics, and, and that's why I got involved with Faith Beyond Belief in the first place. And I felt very deeply that it was a way of supporting something bigger than our church, something that could strengthen the gospel witness of, of all the churches. And, and again, I don't have time to go into this but may I say that it is downright earth-shattering to consider how weak the gospel witness has become even in the evangelical churches of our world. It's, it's unbelievable. And so to strengthen the gospel witness of all the churches is a, is a, a very valuable uh, task to perform. And Faith Beyond Belief is doing, was doing that, is doing that, will be doing that, God willing. And so I was always interested in what they were doing. But as I got involved... Uh, I became increasingly excited about FBB as I, I learned about the plans that JoJo has for expanding this vital ministry into the rest of Canada. I don't mind to tell you that I found my heart deeply moved by the opportunity to be involved with a visionary who is willing to tackle a whole country as they proclaim the faith once for all delivered to the saints. I'm thinking about Jude chapter 3 with that phrase, the faith once for all delivered to the saints. And then as Jojo talked about needing someone to fill the engagements that he couldn't take throughout the year, it, it became obvious that he was talking about me, and I was deeply honored that he would ask me to consider coming on board. But still, I hesitated. I had lots of reasons to hesitate. I had hundreds of reasons, every one of them called member of Hawkwood Baptist Church. I hesitated uh, until God did a couple of things, and I want to tell you about both of them. First... I want you to know that I couldn't do any of this if I didn't know that Jeannie, my, my dear wife, Jeannie, was ready to step out in faith with me. And it's unbelievable. Guys, if you've got a pastor that you know of, thank God for him, but thank God for his wife and pray for his wife because, boy, does she have an impact. I can tell you right now that I'm still in the ministry 40 years on only because of the influence and the support, the encouragement, the prayers, and sometimes the jerk-a-knot-in-my-tail uh, life of my wife in her relationship with me. I thank God for her. I, yeah, amen is right. Amen. 
So, of course, we've prayed about this move. And, and Jeannie has said to me many times, I don't even know how many times, that she would support whatever decision I made. But what made me feel that she was really ready to do this? I wish I'd written this one down. I, I don't have a date for this one. But one day, as we, I remember we were getting out of the car. We had been somewhere. I don't even know where. We were getting out of the car. We were talking about faith beyond belief. And as we got out of the car, she began to speak of the vision that Jojo has. His idea is to put Faith Beyond Belief apologetic centers in the 10 largest cities in Canada as a beginning point. And then from there, spread out into the smaller communities and so forth. But to have 10 centers, Calgary already has one, Edmonton, he's already got a skeleton crew organized and getting ready for next year, and that'll be the second one. But beyond that, the 10 largest cities of Canada. And as she began to speak about this vision, as she began to speak about how excited she personally was about the vision. I'm not even kidding. There was a tone in her voice that I don't know if I've ever exactly heard what was coming out of her, that tone, that, that joy, that excitement. And I thought, this is of God. This is God speaking to me through my helpmate, through my wife. And I couldn't ignore it. And it was spontaneous. It wasn't, I didn't ask her something. You know, Jeannie, what do you think? I wasn't asking her that at that moment. She was just declaring her heart. And I thought, okay, if my wife's this strongly committed, I've got to take this call seriously. So that's one thing that happened. But um, the other thing is that about a month ago, and I, as far as I know, this person, this man, he's here in the room today, but I'm not going to identify him further than that for now. But as far as I know, he had no clue, even five minutes ago or ten minutes ago, whatever it was, he had no clue that I was going to be sharing this with you. He had no clue at all that I was, about what was going on. But about a month ago, there was a man in our church who called me to say that he had spent the previous day, and I'm quoting because I realized halfway through the conversation, I need to write some of this stuff down. And I began to write some of it down. And so I can tell you, he told me that he had spent most of the previous day on his knees praying about me. He said he was impressed to say to me that he felt, I, that, speaking of me, that I had a message larger than just one church, and that he was praying God would enlarge my work. You, you almost can't make this stuff up, friends. It's, it's, it, 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 was a, it was exciting, and yet it was very, uh, it put a burden on me to make sure I was doing the right thing, but it helped me to be encouraged to, to go ahead a message larger than just one church, and that he was praying God would enlarge my work. And he told me he had been praying Revelation 3.8 for me, which says, Look, I have placed before you an open door that no one else is able to close. And I'm still quoting him. I see you with a much wider ministry, he said. You should raise up a support team and get an advisory board and start speaking beyond our church about cultural issues, maybe just like Jojo Ruba. I'm not even making that up. That came out of his mouth. Only, he said, more church-oriented. Maybe he doesn't know, but Faith Beyond Belief is doing its best to be... I mean, the conference is a big thing every year that people see, but throughout the year, they're doing their best to be church-oriented. And then he told me that he had been praying about this and talking with his family about it for months. As God is my witness, I'm not making this up. I didn't know what to say, since I hadn't even told the elders at that point what I was considering. So I said to him, this is all I felt I could say at the time, you have no idea how directly you're speaking to my heart. And then the, previous, the following Sunday, he drew me to one side and said, you know what we talked about, I'm still praying about it. And all I could say was, you have no idea 
how directly you're speaking to my heart. And then, on the Thursday, July 5th, when I knew I was going to be speaking to the elders that evening, and uh, praying, you know, right up to the last moment, praying, God, help me to do the right thing, and if, I, if this is not the right thing, help me to not do it or something. And, and, um, and, and I called the same gentleman to talk to him about something entirely unrelated to this. And we had that conversation, but before we got off the phone, he said, you know that stuff I talked to you about a few weeks ago? We're still praying for you. It's still in our hearts. I still believe this is what God wants you to do. And all I know to say is, that spoke to me like, I mean, Jeannie was well aware, and I could tell God was speaking through her. But this man had no idea. As far as I know, he had no idea. I'll ask him later. But anyway, that's the story. That's where I'm going. Faith beyond belief. We're not leaving town, but we will, I think, have to leave the church. It's just not really useful for the previous pastor to stay around. You call a new pastor, and, you know, even if two or three of us are standing over in the corner talking about Formula One car racing, the new pastor sees three people talking to the old pastor, and he wonders, what are they talking about? You know, and, no, seriously, it's just, it's very difficult. Uh, one of the elders said to me, well, you and Pastor Sig seem to make it work. And all I can say about that is Sig Schuster is the most unusual pastor that has ever lived. One of the great men, seriously, one of the great men of God. And, and, and actually, Jeannie and I took him and Grace uh, to, out for lunch just earlier this past week because we wanted to say to them, working with you has been an unbelievable delight. And, uh, and, and, and really, if it were not for their sensitivity and so forth, we'd never, we'd never been able to get along. Actually, I'm not, again, I'm not even making this up. But uh, after I'd been here about a year, uh, one of the other pastors in our city said, I don't know how you and Sig work together because he's like the former pastor. Isn't that a problem? And I was like, no, it's not. Not with him, it isn't. But in a lot of cases, it could be. And it, and it depends on a lot of circumstances and dynamics. And I just feel like, at least for a long while, I need to be absent from here in order to let God work in your lives and in order to let God work into establishing the new pastor, whoever that might be. Now we've got, I'm going to say, 10 more minutes left before I'm going to turn the service over to one of our elders. I do want to share some things with you that, with God's help, I believe, can give us hope going forward. I want to talk to you about principles that matter most. But the, rest of the, the rest of the title is Principles That Matter Most in Times of Transition. You'll notice we've only had one slide up today, and we're only going to have the one. And the reason being was, Philip, I, I didn't want you to look ahead and see what I was going to be talking about. And, and as well, we didn't pass out any sermon notes. I've printed some out in case anybody wants to have a record of what I'm saying here this morning. And I'll ask one of the ushers, maybe just come ahead and, and get them now, and we can put them on the table out there. Yeah, come on, Larry, and put them on the table out there, and you can pick some up after the service if you want, just to have a record. But I didn't want anybody picking up the notes and all of a sudden, all the whispers flying around and all that before I had a chance to explain anything. But now let me talk to you, as I say, about principles that, that matter most in times of transition. I have three, and this is going to be brief, but I want, to, I want you to know I'm lifting each one of these from Acts chapter 20. Now, if you remember your, your book of Acts, Acts 20 is Paul's last words to the leaders of the church in Ephesus. He says to them, you'll never see my face again. And so he especially calls the elders, and we'll talk about that in a moment. And, and so he, he meets with them to warn them, to exhort them as to how they should lead the church in his absence. And so I think this is an important passage for Hawkwood 
as together we enter into a period of transition. And for the next two months, it will be my privilege to walk alongside of you through this transition. So here are three principles that we should keep uppermost, I think, in a time of transition. And I, I believe these are the ones, there are other principles in this passage, but these are the ones that matter most. So here's the first one. Transition is a time when a church especially needs to accept and follow God's appointed leadership. I'm talking about the elders. To accept and follow God's appointed leadership. Notice what happens in Acts chapter 20, verse 17. Luke writes, the author of Acts writes, Now from Miletus he sent to Ephesus and called for the elders of the church. It's significant that he didn't just say, anybody who wants to come over and see me, I'll be available you know, between 2 and 4 o'clock, and we've got some tea, and we'll have some cake, and we'll just have a good time together. No, he called for the leaders, the elders of the church. And notice what he says in verse 28 as he speaks to these elders. He says, the Holy Spirit has appointed you as overseers to shepherd the church of God. And we need to hold that thought in our minds, that the six men... I make the seventh elder right now, but the six men who serve as our elder board, the Holy Spirit has appointed these men to shepherd the church of God. However they got elected, however they came to be in this leadership group, we need to hold in our minds that the sovereign God who providentially watches over his people have brought these men to the leadership to shepherd the church of God. Now, according to the New Testament, Primary leadership in the local church is never to arise from the preaching pastor. He's never to be the primary leader of the church, but rather from the elders. So just as you're called to follow Jesus, just as you're called uh, to accept the apostles' teaching in the same way, in the same way you are also called and commanded to submit to and follow the leadership of God's appointed elders in this church, and not just to follow them, but to pray for them and to love them for their labors in the Lord. Your elders are already meeting together. They've already had special prayer meetings. They've already had special times of discussion. They're going to meet for the first time without me this, this Tuesday night to plan and make further plans going forward. Although I think at the end of the service, we'll tell you a little bit about what's happening next. But these are godly men, and you can trust them to lead you well. And don't forget, God has commanded you, and I'm thinking from Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17, Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they keep watch over your souls as those who will give an account. Obey them so that they can do this with joy and not with grief, for that would be unprofitable for you. Now, if that kind of verse is true in ordinary times, how much more true is it in times of transition between pastors? And so let me encourage you then to follow the leadership of the elders. Secondly, transition is a time when Christians should self-consciously strengthen their confidence in the benefits and the blessedness of a life built on biblical truth. A life built on biblical truth. Let me read to you from Acts chapter 20, verse 20. Notice what Paul says. It, it, actually, this is the, the, the first words are, while I was with you. And then what I have printed here is, Paul says, while I was with you, I did not shrink back from proclaiming to you anything that was profitable or from teaching it to you in public and from house to house. I testified to both Jews and Greeks about repentance toward God and faith in our Lord Jesus. And then in verse 27, he says, for I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole plan of God. 
So I want you to notice the deposit of truth that Paul left behind. He taught them everything profitable. He taught them the whole plan or the whole counsel of God. Let me ask you to hear this with your hearts wide open. Apostles come and go. He said to the church at Corinth or the church at Ephesus, you're not going to see my face again. Apostles come and go. Pastors come and go. And sometimes we're tempted to discard good teaching after the teacher is gone. But Paul explicitly references the fact that it is his teaching that matters. That's what will remain with them. The message of God's word stands for eternity, as does our responsibility to hear it and obey it. It's the word that matters. So when you put these verses together, it's clear that Paul spent time in Ephesus comprehensively expounding God's truth as found in Scripture. We have examples of this approach. If you want, if you want to know how, what his approach was like, just read the book of Romans, read the book of, of Ephesians, Colossians. These show his teaching and how rooted in the Old Testament it was and how founded upon what already was 2,500 years of biblical thinking and teaching and so forth. Essentially then, Paul is saying that he continually presented the Ephesians with a biblical worldview, along with proofs and arguments to show that the Bible alone describes reality. See, here's the thing. Nothing that has been discovered over the past 2,000 years has shaken Paul's position to the slightest degree. God is still creator. Man is still God's creation. The Bible is still true in everything that it affirms. It still contains everything necessary for life and godliness. And we must still give an account before God. I'm thinking of 2 Corinthians 5.10, but we must still give an account before God someday for the deeds done in the flesh, whether we obeyed his word, whether we believed his word and obeyed it, and so forth. So that's number two. In a time of transition, Build your life on God's Word. Always do so. Always do so. But it's important in a time of transition to remember there are some things that don't change, and I'm going to build my life on those things. The third one, the last one I want to say to you this morning is this. Transition is a time when God's people can learn afresh that they can always trust in God. Christ will lead his church to greater days. Look at how Paul finishes his speech to the elders at Ephesus. In verse 32, Acts 20, 32, he says, And now I commit you to God and to the message of his grace. And now I commit you to God and to the message of his grace, which is able to build you up and to give you an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Whenever you find a a church or a denomination that puts all of its authority in the priest, in the, the man at the altar and behind the altar and the one who preaches and so forth. When you put all your authority in that man, you have moved away from a biblical foundation. You have to understand that. Please understand that. Paul committed them not to remember him. He committed them to God and to the message of his grace. It's that message that's able to build them up and to give them an inheritance among all who are sanctified. Listen again with your heart as wide open as possible. Paul knows that the work he did in Ephesus was really God working through him. Speaking of his work in Corinth, he says, I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. 
Now, if that's true in Corinth, it was also equally true in Ephesus. Paul may have planted seeds. Somebody else may have helped those seeds to grow. But it's always God who gives the growth. So Paul goes on to say, So then, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He's, by implication, he is everything. God is everything. The man who's doing the work at the pulpit or wherever, he's nothing. So to the degree, listen carefully, to the degree that Hawkwood Baptist Church maintains its focus on God and on his eternal message of salvation by grace, through faith, this church cannot fail. And I hope in your own experience that you've come to see that God's saving grace is not just what saves us, it's also what keeps us in an ongoing, fruitful relationship with him. I want you to listen to two verses from the most familiar hymn in all the world, from Amazing Grace, John Newton's great hymn. Listen to what he says, "'Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. How precious did that grace appear the hour I first believed. And I've heard lots of people who are prepared to talk about how precious God's grace appeared to them in the hour when they first believed. But listen to what Newton says in the next verse. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, I've already come. Tis grace has brought me safe thus far. That is, this continual relationship with God through Christ, which is always based on continual repentance as we confess our sins before God, and continual faith in Christ, our Savior and our Lord, who holds us and keeps us safe in his hands. Tis grace that brought me safe thus far, and grace will lead me home. It's God's grace that leads his people right through to the promised land, to heaven itself. And so I say to you, if any good things have occurred in the past 12 years, and by the way, when we finish September 30th, It'll be two months short of 12 years, so you understand I'm rounding up, but I hope you'll forgive me for that. If any good things have occurred in the past 12 years, it was God who did it. Do you hear that? Any good things that have happened in your life, in this church, any good things that have happened. I may have been in the room. I may have been actually praying with you or whatever it may be, but if there was any good things that happened, it was God who did it, not the pastor. And while I'll no longer be your pastor after September God isn't going anywhere. God will be with you. The same power for ministry, for salvation, and for a life of discipleship will remain with Christ's church forever. We need to keep that in mind. Would you bow your heads, please?